Major support for Carolina Business Review is provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Novant Health, bringing you world-class technology, clinicians, and care when and where you need it. And Sunoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. It's not just the promise of spring when warm weather arrives and the idea of fun, the beach, summer activities take our attention away from some of those things that really vex and challenge us on a day to day basis and don't seem quite as threatening, though, when we think about all of the summer fun to come. Welcome again to the most widely watched source of Carolina business policy and public affairs here in this region. I am Chris William and we will talk about those things that are most important, but later on a seismic shift in entertainment and sports is going on now. Tryon International Equestrian Center founder Mark Bellissimo will join us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina. Please visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Joe Waters from Capita, Bill Russell of the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce, and special guest, Mark Bellissimo, managing partner of Tryon Equestrian Partners. Welcome back to our program. Thank you for watching, gentlemen, both of you. Welcome. Good to have you both here. Uh, Bill, start with you. Uh, affordable housing seems to be a buzzword that has come up again, not because it's, it's, it's socially popular, it certainly is, but with an eight or nine year economic expansion that we've had now, a lot of developers, a lot of real estate folks are, are trying their best to, to access the free money that they have, but also develop around urban cores. And one of the things that city fathers and mothers have gotten smart about to say, yeah, before we grant this request to you from planning, zoning, whatever it is, we want you to consider an affordable <coughs> housing component of this. It, am I right to think that? And is that going to be enough for affordable housing to ride on the backs of the success of the development? You know, there are a lot of folks that would say that we have an affordable housing crisis in the Charlotte market. Uh, just last year, the town of Davidson did a study and the median home price uh, for a home in, 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 in Davidson is like $385,000. In uh, Cornelius is 265000 And Huntersville is 250000 And the problem is with, with the rental rates soaring, it's very hard for a lot of families to be able to afford that. We have, I'm on the Habitat for Humanity board, and you'd be surprised uh, how many police, uh, fire, teachers can't afford to live in the community they serve. So it is, it is a concern. And our towns are working with developers to make sure that, that when we're 
putting in new developments, we're setting aside opportunities for families to be able to get in those homes. On the Habitat Board, we're trying to make sure that we build 15 new houses per year, uh, 30 home improvement uh, houses. And I'll tell you, when you see these families who are getting to a, into a home of their own for the first time, and those homes aren't given to them, they still have mortgages, but you see the look on their face, it is extraordinary, and you wanna go out and help that next family. You know, Joe, it's not always, I know it's not gonna be an easy sell for affordable housing. You know, everybody wants it, but just not in their backyard or their front yard, sure. I understand that part. And I, it, it, but as Bill talked about the Charlotte market, Asheville, Columbia, Raleigh, tri the Triangle, Charleston, I mean, Greenville, the upstate of South right. Carolina, they're all facing this affordable housing crisis, as Bill called it. Is it, going, is it a good, is it summer though? Is it a good day for affordable housing to use that lever that they have mm -hmm. as, a, as we described it? Yeah, certainly we're talking a lot about it. We're talking a lot about it in Greenville where I'm from. What we're very interested in though is all the pressures that are, are uh, that families face, right? And we think for example, a lot about affordable childcare, right? Which is another, right there with housing, it's an issue that, that, that families are facing. Uh, our point of view is that uh, affordable housing has to be nested within a broader conversation about the health and flourishing of communities, right? Because uh, the lack of affordable housing, the lack of affordable childcare is gonna drive poor outcomes in the healthcare sector, it's gonna drive poor outcomes in the education sector. And if really what we're gonna be about as communities across the Carolinas is the flourishing of our children and families, then we have to tackle affordable housing right along with a whole host of other issues that are driving poor outcomes for our children and families. You look like you were gonna say something, Bill. No? You know, I, I had a conversation just the other day with uh, a lady with the Hope House Foundation, uh, Deb O'Hanley, who was sharing that uh, the Hope House uh, addresses situational homelessness for women. And the number of people who might be even attorneys, uh, the waitress, the teller at the bank, who are living out of their cars, and they're literally getting a membership to the gym for yeah. $19.95 a month, so they can take a shower the next day. We can do better than that. I, would, I, I don't want to be insensitive. That is important. We can't let people fall through the cracks. How do we, though, make sure that we're not just putting a Band-Aid over a symptom and try to go to the root of that? But I, I, I'm sorry, because this, this could end up spinning out into an hour, an hour and a half show. I want to come back to something, Joe and, and Bill. I want you both on board with this. So how do you feel like those that develop communities, mm -hmm. buildings, apartments, condos, conceptual mixed use, all of that. Do you feel like they are sympathetic to affordable housing components within their projects? Sure, I, I think they are. I, I think that one of the challenges though is going to continue to be to make sure that local voices are at the table in these developments. Is that so just that showing local, up at city council and county it's, commission it's, meetings? It's showing up in a number of places, right? But but my perspective is um, those local voices have to continue uh, to be at the table when we're thinking about these developments. But the developers know, right, that, that, that the community, they're going to be their customers, right? They're gonna be the customers of the businesses and all the other mm -hmm. uh, 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 businesses that come into a community. So they know that there has to be a, an affordable housing component to make sure that the, the full spectrum of the community is, is represented and, and able to take advantage of the, the, the wonderful amenities that are coming to places mm -hmm. like Greenville, South Carolina. D do you feel it, that they're sympathetic? I, I, I totally agree because I, be, before you can have a great community, you have to have all the diversity and all income levels represented. And I think our, our developers understand that. Yes, they're generated. They want to make a profit at the end of the day, but they want to have a good community. And uh, I, I think they understand that. 
Uh, we, let's take about a minute. This is not going to be enough time. But Bill Russell, I'll call you the uh, I'll call you the poster boy for the opposition to the I-77 <laughs> expansion along that North Mecklenburg, <clears throat> Charlotte, Statesville, Lake Norman area. B Bill, how do you stop? How do you stop a, a bell that's already been rung, a horse that's already been way out of the barn? How would the opposition say, all right, this expansion's coming. How can we figure out how to make it work within the communities in instead of trying to unwind that contract? First off, we, NCDOT has been meeting at the Lake Norman Chamber with our, uh, some of the stakeholders for about three months now. And we're looking at all of the recommendations from Mercator. At the end of the day, we're not looking at canceling this project. We would like Centra to finish the project out, go ahead and put in the tolling equipment. So you finished it completely, and the day that there's the ribbon cutting that you're opening up, open up the lanes, then have NCDOT step in, buy out the contract, take the two lanes that they've built as HOTs, make one of the HOT lanes a managed lane that guarantees the mobility mm -hmm. so people can get up and down. Uh, cats can utilize that for busing, and then you take the other HOT lane and convert that to a general purpose lane. So now you have three lanes and we can ease that congestion because that's the issue in Lake, Lake Norman. It's a congestion problem, not the guaranteed mobility problem. So that's really what we're looking to do. I think we're headed in that direction. Uh, I feel confident that, that Governor Cooper and Secretary Trogdon understand this and they want to find that solution and we're headed to that. Another alternative that we're talking about is what if we hardened the shoulders, which allowed people to drive during peak driving times, say at four o'clock in the afternoon or seven o'clock at night, six o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, and utilize the shoulders just during those particular times and harden shoulders. How are you gonna control that? I think that it's being done in other areas and, and I think yeah. that's a solution as well. But we want Centra to go ahead and finish, then have NCDOT buy it out and have NCDOT manage it okay. instead of Central. You know, interestingly enough, uh, North Carolina's Department of Transportation Secretary Jim Trogdon will be on this program. We'll be sure to bring that up. <laughs> Count on it. Uh, uh, gentlemen, thanks for being on the program. Uh, speaking of uh, the Secretary, he will be a guest on our program. Also coming up on this program, Pat Riley is the President and CEO of one of the largest residential real estate firms in the country, certainly here in the Carolinas. So Pat Riley, Jim Trogdon, as I talked about, Secretary Secretary of Transportation will be on this program. Uh, Clarence Arm, uh, I'm sorry, it was Clarence Armbrister from uh, J.C. Smith <coughs> University will be, and then also Roy Cooper. So there's a whole lot of people, probably more than you need, but we've got a great program coming up on this program. Just above South Carolina's upstate and just east of Western North Carolina, near Tryon, North Carolina, it sits on about 1,600 acres and is costing upwards of about 400 million so far. It's a sprawling promise of world-class world equestrian lifestyle competition and entertainment. It is the Tryon International Equestrian Center. It's authored by someone who has already done it successfully on the world stage. He is the founder of a series of equestrian entities that has done the same thing for years in Wellington, Florida at the Palm Beach International Equestrian Center. Joining us now is managing partner of Tryon Equestrian Partners, Mark Bellissimo. Uh, Mark, welcome, uh, welcome to the program, but thanks for being in North Carolina. Well, thank you, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. Wow, you know, I, I, I promise, I don't want to fawn over this, but Mark, uh, over the last 30 years on this program, we've heard a lot of people with a lot of big ideas, and they end up being something maybe better, but end up being different. Here you sat, if you would have sat here two years ago and said this, I, I would have been suspect. 
<laughs> not cynical, but suspect. And here you have delivered the goods so far. Uh, give us a sense of statistically where this center is, what it's going to deliver, what's the revenue, what are your head count going to be, so on and so forth. Okay. Well, thank you for the uh, <laughs> opportunity to discuss it. But you know, the the equestrian industry is an industry that's not you know well understood. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry across the United States and and uh, significant uh, employer, very fragmented. Uh, the, the venue we created in, in Wellington, uh, just give some statistics there, is essentially a 12-week uh, uh, venue that's turned into almost 16, 18, 20 weeks that's attracting you know, 5,000 wealthiest families in the world that come down and compete for show jumping, dressage, and, and, and polo at this point in time. The economic impact to Palm Beach County is about $200 million uh, each, each winter. Uh, we generated about 160,000 bed nights, and, and as a business, we're about a $100 million-ish business mm -hmm. down there, and uh, essentially have created a real estate portfolio that's probably worth anywhere from um, you know, uh, 350 to $700 million. So it's, it's actually created a really interesting wow. economic uh, investment down there. We've spent about $350 million down there. Uh, what happened is a couple of years ago, a dear friend of mine who's a business partner down there, Roger Smith, who is actually from... Um, Polk County, Rutherford County is a big uh, state there. We'd been going to the steeplechase. And uh, it really was attracted by the area, really interesting sort of environment. And, uh, you know, he just kept on talking about how the area was so depressed, given some of the area issues with, uh, I think, Rutherford County was probably the uh, lowest or highest uh, unemployment in the state or right. one of a cluster of, uh, of uh, economically distressed areas due to the decline of the textile industry. And, and it was his view. He wanted to really create something. And he, he sort of asked on a number of occasions whether you know, I would consider doing something up there because there's a real great tradition in this area around equestrian sport. And so uh, that, that sort of triggered the interest. And, and uh, when we started looking at it, the, the cynics in the group you know, said when we talked about doing something in Tryon said, from the industry said that's crazy no one will go to western north carolina there's there's no hotels there's no infrastructure it, it really won't fit don't don't confuse the success in wellington with the it, near you know the proximity to palm beach and so inspired by the challenge um you know uh, roger and i got together and we said you know let, let, let's try to do something roger had experimented with something it didn't work out and I, I said roger the only way it will work is if we we step up and do something really big and do it with a group of people that you know have a you know, maybe a little more risk, uh, uh, risk insensitive pro profile. So, you know, Roger and I uh, bought a, a, a failed property called White Oak Plantation mm -hmm. and, and essentially used that in combination with some other real estate acquisitions to acquire about 1,600 acres that would be right off of 74. And uh, we thought we'd sort of build it. So in, in, uh, in a very short order, I said, Roger, it's probably gonna take about $50 million. We're just, no one's going to fund it, so it's just a private equity investment. And then as we looked at it, um, you know, it started becoming very, very interesting to us and uh, decided to expand the scope. We brought in a couple more partners, three families, who essentially had a passion for, the, for equestrian sport. And uh, said, oh, it'll be a $100 million investment, and uh, let's just broaden it. And we really very quickly um, uh, had essentially uh, got the show uh, venue up and running in six months. Which was pretty interesting. Surprising you? Surprising, Did that yeah. Surprise you? And and you know it's funny when when we first spoke with uh, you know local officials, I said you can't really build quickly here. It's not something <laughs> you're going to be able to do. And people are going to go hunting and fishing, and the labor market's not you know be capable of that and uh, you know level of, of or pace. And uh, it really proved them wrong. I mean, we actually uh, got a group of about uh, 60 vendors, 700. Uh, um, people, which mm -hmm. we have a plaque dedicated to that group of people who built it at the front as you walk into our venue. 
And uh, it, was, it was really interesting because people were inspired by the opportunity to, to use this as sort of an economic engine for the region. And, and we really, instead of selling this project as this big lifestyle destination to potential real estate purchasers, we sold the concept to the actual people in the community to be a part of something that would be a transformation mm -hmm. of, of the industry. And it was amazing to me how effective they were. Because in 15 months, we spent about $150 million and have now built what is the second largest venue in the world and then stumbled into uh, an event that's going to occur in September called the World Equestrian Games that uh, will be the largest attended sporting event in the United States with uh, 500,000 people. You actually expect half a million people there? Uh, you know, it's, it, that's attendees, so that's 40,000 a day over oh. 14 days. Okay. But, uh, oh, um, it, it's been pretty consistent in the different WEGs, um, the World Equestrian Games. But you know, what's most interesting about it is the, um, uh, the, the previous venues, Rome, um, Jerez, Spain, um, uh, Aachen, Germany, Lexington, Kentucky, all massive, you know, venues in Normandy in 2014, mm -hmm. and now Mill Spring, North Carolina, population yeah. 2,000. I love um, that. So, sort of been very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Bill, go ahead. Question? Yeah, I, I, I was sharing just a little while earlier that since I was six, I had a pony and graduated to two quarter horses and have two quarter horses and a Tennessee Walker now. Um, I think I read where equestrian sports and horseback riding has now eclipsed tennis and golf as an activity. Is that right? Well, in, in, in our national parks, um, it's, the most, it's the third most active um, uh, interest. And so we have, I think, 49 million people or so will, will, will actually uh, horseback ride. But there's a statistic out on Facebook that uh, 250 million people in the United States have an in, or in the, in the world have an interest in equestrian sport. And uh, it's becoming, you know, very fragmented. I mean, it's becoming less fragmented as more people become aware of uh, the different opportunities. I think this is this is horse country. Uh, we've got the um, steeplechasing and, and Aiken trials, the Carolina Cup, the Colonial Cup uh, here in Charlotte, the Queens Cup. Uh, again, very well attended. Uh, it is a huge spectator sport as well. Mark, I'm just curious. You you mentioned how the the workforce in Tryon surprised you in in building the facility and getting things up and running. Wh what do you think the workforce of the future in that part of the state is going to need for you to continue to be successful years into the future? Well, you know, it's a great question. I, I think one of the challenges that you, you face is really finding you know local talent to to accomplish uh, you know <coughs> something that's sort of outside of the, the sort of the domain of expertise that that exists. Um, what we found, we really actually found some amazing people in appearing in, in marketing um, domain, the the uh, our operations domain. They were all local, and and, and I think that. What's uh, happening is that we're working with the local community college system, you know, isothermal, to, to mm -hmm. look at hospitality type jobs, looking at uh, sports and entertainment uh, jobs, and, and, and trying to get the training that, uh, um, that we need. And, and Walter Dalton, really early on in the process, embraced this and, and actually was working with us around various training programs. And now we're offering uh, equestrian uh, training programs, uh, hospitality training programs, et cetera. So there's been a great collaboration. One of the things that's most interesting to me is how um, uh, collaborative the, the county has been, the surrounding counties. The state of North Carolina has been fantastic in supporting this. And, and this is a private investment. And the first time even the World Equestrian Games has been funded by a private entity. Um, you know, we've been inspired to spend more money 
because of the way the counties have treated us, the way the state has treated us in terms of really making it easier for us and, and not doing anything that's outside of their protocol, but essentially just working with us and, and not being obstructionists and being problem solvers. And, and that's what's inspired us. And you know, we again started as a $50 million investment. It's probably approaching $200 million investment. And uh, now we're actually focused on doing an economic cluster. And I was struck mm -hmm. by your earlier comments. One of the great outcomes of the World Equestrian Games is going to be a company called U.S. Precision Construction. And uh, that's, a, that's a company that uh, I, I formed two years ago um, that now probably has about 100 employees um, through a couple of acquisitions locally in the manufacturing side. And when we set this up, we wanted this area to be a rural economic cluster, to be a model for how do you start transforming a workforce into different areas. So um, when I was told, you know, we, we didn't have the um, resources to sort of build a, a hotel and all, all different types of uh, uh, commercial structures we need, I, I actually started a business that was essentially going to be automated modular construction of housing and residential mm -hmm. structures. And so in, in the last uh, 18 months, two months, we've spent about $25 million, which is probably a third of what we should have spent to do this, but we've built the, probably the most sophisticated modular uh, construction uh, business in, in the country and uh, with about 30 robots. And it's actually a site for us, and we really not discussed it with anyone, but it's actually going to enable us to produce hotels in um, matter of months, like one or two months. It's not 3D printing hotels. No, it's, it's, it's actually uh, modular construction. It's w all wood structures. It's all green. Um, and essentially, we can build in our first incarnation. We're actually rolling it out in May. So our first hotel will be put up in May, which we can put up in about 30 days, a 210-room hotel, which essentially will be done um, mostly robotically. But we're introducing jobs to the area. And uh, my view, the impact of that technology those technologies on low-income housing, student housing, mm -hmm. um, uh, hotels, uh, apartments, condos, is going to be profound. And, and we've had people from all over the country come in uh, to see it, who are materials processors, who their sales reps have come in and seen it and said, I've been in every modular factory in the United States, and there's not one that's close to this. Like, why did this happen? And I said, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. We, we were, had to build hotels in our, our, uh, for our venue for the World Equestrian Games. Do you see yourself as a disruptor in the equestrian business? Absolutely. So you've got you've got the Palm Beach, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use Palm Beach County. Yeah. But you you have Palm Beach County highbrow upper crust horse, and then you've got as you described it, hundreds a hundred million plus people that are interested in globally. So how do you bridge that gap between what has been thought of as more of elite sport yes. and those people that show interest in it? Is that what you're trying to do here? A absolutely. We, we, and one of the ways we did that is, is we offer free admission to all of our venues and, and really trying to encourage people from people who are interested in the carousel ride or a pony ride all the way up to the Olympic disciplines. And, th and that's what I think is most interesting is people will come to the venue and they'll enjoy it and they'll come in for free and they'll say, when are you going to start charging? And I've said to them, as long as I own this venue, it will be free for, for most events. The WEG will be um, you know, a fee for, uh, you know, there'll be ticket, ticket price for the WEG, but we'll have a low-cost ticket that's $20. Um, but the, the, the bottom line is, on Saturday nights in, in that area, you can go and have great entertainment for a family, which is it's tough in these times to play, find a place. Uh -huh. And so the bottom line is, we are definitely making the, the, the sport much more accessible introducing the sport to a broader audience and uh, it, it's been quite effective because our business has grown from nothing to this probably the second largest uh, equestrian uh, business in the in the in the uh, in the industry in, in Tryon and I think that that's a testament to a high level of engagement where we're getting anywhere from six to eight thousand people every Saturday night there 
and they're spending money when they get to the venue. Yeah. So they may have free admission, but they have an opportunity to treat their families to a very special. We, we literally have a minute left. You have a question? Well, Chris, I would tell you that some of the viewers who have never been on a horse, we have a wonderful facility in North Mecklenburg, the Light Equestrian Center, and we have some wonderful places to ride. Yeah, but do you have a question for Mark? The, the question for Mark would be, for those folks who have never been on a horse, what suggestions do you have? Well, I'd say that, um, you know, if you come out and, and just get on a horse, I mean, I think it, it inspires many people, and, and, and I think that uh, there's an opportunity if you go to tryon.com or tryon2018.com, there's a lot of opportunities there which you can actually, um, you know, come to our venue and sit on a horse for free and, and, and do a pony ride for your kids, and, and uh, you know, I think there's an opportunity for us to create some low-cost programs. And we're hopeful that we create a, a model for this region, the Carolinas, that will allow people to engage in a, in a sport that's different for the people who don't have experience in, you know, don't have uh, an interest in some other sports, but have an interest mm -hmm. in doing something very, very different. And, and do you feel like you still get the, the folks at the top of their game in that industry that will, will not see it as a, this is my term, Mark, dumbing down the sport, but they'll still show up because they want the high-end competition, the hunter, jumper, so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I think what would happen, I think early on when I, you know, sort of got into the, the game. They thought, though, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm dumbing it down. I'm turning it into a carnival and an entertainment atmosphere. And I think what's happened is they've seen much larger crowds. Our sponsorship portfolio is $20 million a year um, and, yeah. and increasing. And they're seeing more money come into the sport. Um, you know, we've, w one quick point is uh, Rolex is our title sponsor. And one of the, one of the great gestures of, of corporate citizenship is they had a 10-year deal on our venue. And in order for us to do the World Equestrian Games, they allowed for Longines to come in. Uh, and uh, which, which, which shows a respect to the business, but also your business model. For the community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's an interesting sort of opportunity for us to see how this evolves. Uh, nicely done. Thanks for being on the program. Come back, please. I will. Okay. Thank you. Good to see you, Joe. Nice to have you here, Bill. Until next week, I'm Chris. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review was provided by the Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Novant Health, Sunoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.